This is TC Palmcast, top Treasure Coast headlines and more from TC Palm, part of the USA Today Network. Good morning and welcome to TC Palmcast. It's Friday, April 5th, so Daisha Johnson is back to talk headlines with me. Good morning, Daisha. Good morning. How are you? I don't have my headphones on, so Uh-oh. that's weird. <laughs> Let me put these on so I can hear myself. It's always helpful. I thought that felt weird. Okay, I am ready to go. We can talk about the news now. Okay, you can hear yourself? Yep. Sound good? Yep. All right. So we're going to start off with some of the bigger headlines that we had on TC Palm this week. And I want to start off with an update we have on the Florida sex bot cases and specifically Patriots owner Robert Kraft. So we found out this week through some court filings from his lawyers how exactly the Jupiter Police Department obtained that video footage that hasn't been released yet, but it's kind of becoming infamous that this does exist of him being in the in the spa. So apparently we found out that the Jupiter Police Department used a fake bomb threat to be able to get into the spas to put cameras in a bunch of the different rooms so they could record the Johns coming in and visiting the facility. So Kraft's lawyer filed court paperwork on Wednesday to try to suppress that video footage and according to the paperwork, the lawyers are claiming it caused they caused a phony suspicious package warning to be issued to the spa in order to force an evacuation so then the police department could come in and install these hidden cameras. For people who don't remember, Kraft is one of 24 men charged with soliciting prostitution over these alleged visits at the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter. He has pled not guilty to two misdemeanor charges, and he's asked to face a jury trial. So his lawyer will actually be in court next week, Friday, but the actual jury trial has not been set yet. So I want to talk about this story a little bit because uh, this was getting a lot of debate on our social media page about whether what the Jupiter Police Department did was ethical, was it legal, was it fair? And there were also some debates about his lawyers taking such steps to get the videos held. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of floored to hear that that's how they went about doing this. Obviously, we were all curious how they did it in the first place. Um, Is it going to stand up in court? I don't know. Interesting to see what comes out of it. I have heard other stories where police will do things that might be a little unethical, but there was a warrant that was issued that they could be able to do this. So there had to have been a judge that said that this was okay to go in and do it. Was it the best way to do it? Maybe not. Was there another better way? I don't know. I don't work for the police department. I do think it kind of gets a little gray sometimes. Uh, But there are also a lot of debates on our social media page, on our Facebook page, about how heavily his Kraft's lawyers have been trying to fight to get this video footage suppressed. We all know this footage exists, but it has not been released. And in other sex-type cases, that stuff normally would be released against a defendant. And his lawyers have been fighting so heavily to have this stuff held in. And people are arguing that it's not fair because he's got the money and the means to try to keep this personal. Right. So this has been getting a lot of conversation on our Facebook page. Obviously, this story is not done yet. This will continue to go. (laughs) Especially if it does actually get into a jury trial. Mm -hmm. And the reason behind that, which we've been talking about in the newsroom, is that will allow Kraft to remain in the NFL family Mm -hmm. if he were to be found not guilty. Yes. There's rules about if you if he had pled guilty to like a lesser charge and gotten community service, there may have been issues with him staying owner of the Patriots. He has pled not guilty, and so then that leads to having a jury trial. So like I said, his lawyer is actually going to be in court next week, Friday, and Will Greenlee and a couple of other people from our newsroom will be there to cover it. They do not believe that Kraft will be there at all for that, and the actual jury trial date has not been set. 
And Will's actually a little not sure if that's going to be sooner rather than later or if something else might happen and may not even happen at all. We're not sure. We're still trying to figure out all the legalness of this. So we will definitely have more stories on this so people can keep up with this ever-changing story. Now we have a security breach at the Winter White House. You probably heard the story earlier this week, just to remind you. A woman named Yujing Zhang, hopefully I did not butcher that, a Chinese woman with two passports, four cell phones, a laptop, and a malware-infected thumb drive was arrested last weekend after making it through multiple security checkpoints at Mar-a-Lago. This story was pretty interesting. Her name matched that of a club member. At one point, she said she was going to the pool, and then she was eventually allowed to enter the main reception area, even after being screened. A receptionist finally determined that Zhang wasn't on the club's access list, and she was escorted off the property, where she was eventually arrested. Now, Zhang said that she was there to attend a United Nations Chinese American Association event later that day, but that event doesn't even exist. Hmm. And then she also told Secret Service agents that someone named Charles told her to travel from Shanghai to Palm Beach to attend this event that didn't exist to talk to a member of Trump's family about the economic relationship between the U.S. and China. Trump was not on the property when she was arrested. But the latest news on this is that following all of this, the U.S. Senate Democratic leaders asked the FBI to assess the vulnerability of Mar-a-Lago facilities and equipment that Trump uses to access classified information while he's staying at his country club. And following that, the feds have now said that they are reviewing whether Mar-a-Lago could be vulnerable to foreign spying. See, I don't think it matters if you are a fan of Trump or not. That's just a scary concept to me, that somebody could get that far into the facility where our president goes on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. And to potentially get in there and cause who knows what kind of damage. Also in the story, it became kind of a a blame game where Secret Service was blaming the staff at Mar-a-Lago. And so, you know, just kind of a weird situation where a lot of things worked in favor for her to kind of get in and get some access. But Now, I understand Mar-a-Lago is a private club. I don't know the rules or screening or background checks you have to go to be able to be a member there. But I have always wondered, since he's been elected, how much access people still have to the facility when he's there, when he's not there. Because I know they keep more security there since he's become president, whether he's in the facility or not. They have to just maintain a certain level of security all the time. And also, what kind of classified stuff is he dealing with while he's there that, Mm -hmm. that is open to a threat? Yeah, he's had tons of meetings there. You know, he's hosted people there, you know, dignitaries and people from other countries. So you would assume that he's still carrying on the day-to-day workings of the presidency no matter what building he's sleeping in. And so things are probably being talked about. Plus, you know, advisors are there. You know, we've seen Jerry Kushner there. We've seen Trump's sons be there. We know that other work is being done. How safe is that building, really? Looks like we're going to find out. That makes me nervous. (laughs) Okay, so sticking with President Trump, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, but he actually did visit Lake Okeechobee last Friday to talk about the environment and infrastructure. But one of the bigger stories that came out of that speech was actually about what people were wearing in the crowds. (laughs) Which was a certain hat. Was a certain trucker hat that looks similar to another trucker hat that people tend to wear. So these were Make Lake O Great Again trucker hats. These things I think are very funny. (laughs) I can get on board with it. I mean, we all need some stuff fixed around here. We do. So uh, our wonderful outdoors columnist, Ed Killer, wrote about these hats, and he actually bought one himself. He's been sporting it around (laughs) the office for the last week or so. And if you go read this column, he has a photo of himself wearing the hat in the story. So these hats were the brainchild of Ramon Iglesias, the general manager of Roland and Marianne Martin's Marina and Resort in Cluiston. 
He sells the hats for $20 with the proceeds going back to the Anglers for Lake Okeechobee organization. And the money goes to help serve their mission. So Iglesias and the Anglers for Lake Okeechobee are advocating for better water management policies to be executed north of the lake to kind of keep some of that dirty water and runoff from getting into Lake Okeechobee and causing those algae blooms in the first place. So to go with that, on the back of the hats, they also had hashtag slow the flow, (laughs) which I thought was very clever. So uh, this obviously got a lot of attention on our Facebook page since Ed wrote about it earlier in the week. People kind of going at it from some odd angles, some places that I wouldn't have even thought to go. Uh, There was one woman that was comparing it to people wearing clan hoods, which I thought was a little bit of a stretch and kind of then led to some back and forth arguing. And I don't even want to get into that, but it was, it was kind of strange where people took this Mm, whole thing. Yeah. I don't know Ramon, but I would just take a guess that he's trying to bring awareness to the situation, but he's also just kind of trying to poke fun and maybe just, you know, have a little lighthearted humor at the Make America Great hats that Trump wears all the time. Yeah. I think that's his entire intention was to maybe take a slogan that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about and sort of use it to point to an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I mean, smart. He's making some money off of it. He's not making the money, but the, the money's going back to the cause. Yes. And that's great. Yes. Now, we did have a couple of comments that I thought were interesting I wanted to share. Uh, Charlotte Harris said, perhaps a different color hat would have been a better choice. They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but I'm not impressed with the Trump administration's environmental track record, so I would not wear a hat like that. So mm, maybe interesting. if they'd made it like blue or like algae green, I think is kind of where she was going with it. But it, it does, if you've seen the photos, it does look exactly like the MAGA yeah. hats. It's the bright red with the, the white trucker design in the back. And then Charles Duke said, I can't believe the people would take an issue of the lake being polluted and overshadow it by some hats. I don't th- necessarily think that was the goal. No. But I think some people are just so passionate about our water pollution issues that they don't like it when then there's a joke being made or some, yeah. maybe it's a little lighthearted humor that. from that. So... Let us know what you think about the hats, or Ed's hat in particular. So we got one other story we want to talk about, Deja, right? Hurricane. Oh, boy. Which I, okay. <laughs> Confession time. I love hurricanes. Uh, She's not a Florida native, people, if you can already tell. I'm not. I grew up in Colorado, so very landlocked. And when I moved here five years ago, I was very excited to experience a hurricane. And as soon as I said that in our newsroom, <gasps> I think everybody was very mad at me to wish that on us. Which, obviously, of course, hurricanes can be absolutely devastating, and I don't ever wish that upon anybody. But I just love nature and the power of weather, so I was excited to see some interesting stuff while I was here. And I have. Mm-hmm. I've been through a few. So, back to the actual story. <laughs> Since I went on my own tangent, which I seem to be doing a lot lately because I talked about Disney last week. That's okay. I welcome it. That's what this is. We're just (laughs) chit-chatting. Talking about the news. Wherever the conversation goes is where it goes. <laughs> so AccuWeather forecasters are predicting 2019 to bring near to slightly above normal season of hurricanes with 12 to 14 storms. Five to seven of those storms are forecast to become hurricanes and two to four of those are forecast to become major hurricanes. I know that uh, some other predictions will be coming out. I think today the weather channels is dropping. There's more coming out. I tend to look at all of them and take the best one. Right. And that's the percent of predictions that I'll go with. We never really know. (laughs) And the joke around here, too, is that some predictions come out of CSU every year. And, you know, Ed Keller that we talked about earlier, he does not understand, nor do the rest of us, why a landlocked state and some people who've never been in a hurricane get to predict the hurricanes. 
We've asked that question and we've yet to get an answer. So, hey, if you know that answer, <laughs> why Colorado State University predicts hurricanes, email us at tcpalmcast at tcpalm.com. Now, some of the 2019 names are kind of fun or interesting. Mm-hmm. We have Aaron, Ferdinand, Gabrielle, Rebecca with a K, which is interesting. I don't <laughs> know why that has a K. Olga, Pablo, Tanya, Van, Wendy. Andrea to start it off, Barry, Chantal, Dorian. I could go on. You guys don't need to hear all of them. <laughs> I like Nestor and I like Sebastian. Now, of course, it is spelled differently than the Sebastian down here, Yep. the town, but I think some of it is they, they alternate like male names and female names. There's certain names they won't ever use again because they've yeah. been retired. And I think they're kind of getting, like the last couple of years, I feel like they've kind of gone a little more international. So you do, you get an Umberto, you get a, uh, a Melda, you get a Lorenzo. And then Jerry. And then Jerry. <laughs> And then Wendy. It's <laughs> a good mix. Would you know if there's a Hurricane Jerry? There's going to be Jerry Seinfeld memes. Oh. Everywhere. You know, the, yeah, the memes get kind of interesting whenever we have a new name storm. So That is one of the fun parts of hurricanes is the social media. Oh, yes. When people are kind of getting a little crazy, waiting, yep. for, you know, they've purchased their supplies, they've put up their plywood, and they're just kind of sitting waiting. They yep. get bored and they get on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. So do we all. <laughs> All right, so Maureen Kenyon, our trans reporter, actually did a really cool video earlier this year when the names were released, so I will be linking to that so you guys can see the full list of all the 2019 hurricane names. Now, before we go, Daisha, I did want to do a little shout-out, because you got to do one last week, so I want to do them this okay. week. So, if you remember or you listen to our podcast at all, last week when Daisha and I were talking about the different amusement parks in Florida and a lot of the changes that were coming, we talked about the fact that SeaWorld just opened a Sesame Street section, and I didn't understand why. <laughs> Last week, I said, if you guys know why, let me know. And lo and behold, the next day, I had an email from our new friend, Jeremy Sheehan. Jeremy! Big, big thanks to you, mister. You're the only person that emailed me on this one. Thank you for being a fan, Jeremy. We do appreciate you. So he said, while I don't know if it's correct, my best guess is that SeaWorld is the best park to bring really small kids. He says there's a lot to look at, there's minimal lines, and a little section where parents can actually sit down while the kids can play, kind of basically like a gigantic playground. He says he's got two boys of his own, their ages are 8 and 10, and as a family, they've made more trips to SeaWorld than any other of the Florida theme parks combined. Hmm. So he said having Sesame Street at SeaWorld Park pretty much caters to parents with really small kids, and he thinks it's a perfect fit. That makes sense. I think it's a valid argument. So unless somebody can come with a better answer... I'm going to stick with what our buddy Jeremy said. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. So thank you for reaching out. If you guys have thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything about anything we've talked about today on TC Palmcast or any of the previous episodes, you can email us as well, tcpalmcast at tcpalm.com, or you can find Daisha Wright on Twitter. Daisha, thanks for coming and chatting with me. Thank you. This is TC Palmcast. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm the executive producer, Daisha Johnson. This podcast is also produced by Hannah Schwab and Karen Schaefer. The editor is Tim Thorson. Interviews and reporting is done by TC Palm staff. You can email us at tcpalmcast at tcpalm.com.